The following audio is from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org. Please open your Bibles with me today to the book of Colossians, chapter 2. Colossians, chapter 2, continuing our study through this book, letter from the Apostle Paul. Today's study entitled, Complete in Jesus. Complete in Jesus. The Apostle Paul, as we know, is writing this letter to the church in Colossae. It's a new church and a young church. It's a church he's never personally visited, but he has connection through his ministry and several leaders that he knows and were saved through his ministry. He's in prison at Rome. As he writes, he's not able to go to the church, but he is able to receive visitors from the church. And he's heard of this church, and he's now writing to them to encourage them in the faith, to strengthen their faith. He's also heard of some of the uh, false teaching and false doctrine that are coming into the church, threatening to kind of blow the church off course. And so he's concerned about that. And part of his writing is to really solidify them. And as we've noticed here in recent weeks, so much of his writing is really talking about the person of Jesus Christ. As if Paul recognizes that the best uh, remedy to fight off false doctrine is to simply re-emphasize true doctrine. If you talk about Jesus, some of these other notions kind of dissipate because Christ comes into full view. We'll see a little bit more of that here today. Already we've seen Paul talk of Christ as the God-creator the head of the church, the reconciler of mankind in every way preeminent. And we've seen Paul speak of his own ministry. Now now that he's come to Christ, he said in chapter 1, verse 28, Him, Jesus, we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ. And that's the thought that carries right into chapter 2. Paul just really preaching Christ, wanting to warn, wanting to teach, wanting to strengthen this young church in their understanding of Jesus Christ. And it's a beautiful text for us as well as these winds of doctrine, these alternate ideas, these competing narratives about truth, they blow through every generation. Really nothing new And so these truths are timeless, and uh, we'll look now together just at verses 1 through 10 today in chapter 2. We'll break it into three sections, the verses 1 through 3. I want to identify Paul's concern, verses 4 through 7, his command, and verses 8 through 10, his caution. Take a look with me now, verses 1 through 3. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches in the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul says, I I want you to know that although we've not met face to face, I still have great conflict for you. I have a great stirring in my heart, a a sincere passion for you. Not only you, but 
those in the church at Laodicea, another city he mentions, and all who have come to faith. I am very, very stirred for you. He says great conflict. Uh, There's other versions that say, uh, the NIV says, I am contending for you. The ESV, I want you to know what great a struggle I have for you. The New Living Translation, how I agonize for you. We see the apostle's passion. There's something in his heart. He's never met them. He's never been to this church. But he is so connected with them in the Spirit. And this is the heart of God that has kind of taken hold of the apostle's heart. Where does Paul get this passion? Where does this kind of concern, this conflict, this agony, this kind of contending come from? It comes from the Lord. The Apostle Paul and his relationship with God, those things that were of priority to God became his priorities. I think that reminds all of us that God is not so interested in us recruiting him to our priorities as he is in a heart that will allow him to speak his priorities, those things that he wants to accomplish in and through our lives. He has this deep concern, and and so it should be in God's people, that we should have God's heart imposed upon ours. Maybe you remember the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a man who lived during the time that Israel and Judah were in captivity. Uh, Nehemiah himself is living and grows up his whole life in Babylon, a foreign country that had taken the nation captive because of their sin and judgment. And he's never seen Jerusalem. He's never been to the homeland. And yet his heart is moved when he hears of news about the homeland. He's there serving in Babylon, but he's Jewish. He has a passion for God and his people. When he hears this news, you don't need to turn, but I'll I'll read it to you quickly. Nehemiah 1, chapter 2. When they said to me that the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach, the wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. This is a man whose heart is available to God's influence. When he hears the news, something that is important to God and his people and his land, it grips his own heart and he weeps and he prays. It became the occasion for God to use Nehemiah in a mighty way. He would send, Nehemiah would go back and rebuild the wall. Nehemiah would begin his ministry life from this burden that started in his heart by the Spirit of God. This is the Apostle Paul's heart. This should be our heart as well. Lord, impress upon me those things that you desire, those things that are of priority for you and your kingdom. That's what I want to be in step with. That's what I want to be praying about. Paul says not only to this church in Colossae, but he also mentions the church in Laodicea. This is another surrounding city outside of Ephesus, a a nearby community, and there's a church growing there. And Paul says, I'm praying for that church too. We'll see later that he wants this letter that he sends to Colossae to be sent over and read at that church as well. Maybe you remember the city of Laodicea. It would be some years later, not too long after Paul wrote these words, that Jesus himself would inspire the apostle John to send a letter to the church at Laodicea. Remember, it was a warning. 
It was a warning to the church saying, you're neither hot nor cold. You've become lukewarm. You need to repent. You need to return to me, lest I spew you out of my mouth. It seems that that Paul's warning to, to Colossae, Paul's concern for Laodicea is well-founded because it wouldn't be very far. This is still first century. Not very long. This church that started right at the beginning is now already becoming lukewarm, drifting a little, and the Lord having to bring them back. These are truths that affect us today as well. We ought not to just imagine that, well, we're Christians, we know what's going on, and all is well. We have to contend for these things. Paul's letter to this church in Colossae is a letter that should speak to our heart as well. And I would ask you, what is moving your heart today? Is your heart as available to the Lord as the Apostle Paul's was, as Nehemiah? I have to ask this of myself. God, am I, am I on course with you, or am I just living my life and inviting you? Am I being stirred and moved by, the, by, by you? Is there anything of great conflict in me today that is aligned with you? Well, what is it that he wants for these churches? What is his concern? What is his conflict? Look again at verse 2. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This is my conflict. I want you guys to be encouraged. I don't want you to get off course spiritually. I want to see your hearts encouraged. Some months back, I heard a pastor speaking to other pastors, and he reminded us of this. He said, you know, the people that come into church, so many of them just need to be encouraged. That's a good word, a good reminder for me, a good word for all of us. You know, this Christian journey is not an easy one sometimes, and we just need to encourage one another. Paul wants them to be encouraged. Don't, don't get off course. Don't become overwhelmed with trial or discouraged to where your faith begins to, to fade. But he also says that you would be knit together in love. He wants them to fellowship. He wants them to stay connected to one another. There is a strength there for us. There is something that we have for one another, something that we give to one another when we gather, when we come together to worship, to study the Word, to pray with one another, that you would not lose these basic things that would encourage and strengthen you, and that you would come into the full assurance of understanding. Paul wants them not to let these other doctrines or teachings compete with this full assurance of understanding concerning the Father and of Christ. What is the full assurance that we have concerning the Father and of Christ? It's the gospel. It's the gospel. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Paul doesn't wanna, want this church to lose this central truth and he says something very interesting. He says, because in this truth are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This truth, and we can just look at this one verse, this reality that God has revealed to us through the gospel, it, it affects every other view that we have concerning truth and wisdom. It affects our worldview dramatically. What does this tell us? It tells us that, that there's a God in heaven that loves us. That's really important to know, right? 
You don't want to be shaken from that. Well, is there a God? I don't know. Were we created? Is it just evolution? These ideas that, well, the treasures of all wisdom and knowledge are to be unlocked through this central truth concerning the Father and His Son. It's not that there aren't other truths to know. It simply means that all other truths need to be viewed through the lens of this truth. This is what unlocks these other truths and wisdom. There's a God in heaven that salvation is available through his begotten son. Well, that tells me, first of all, I need saving. (laughs) Why would the father send his son? Because he wanted to reconcile us. That means I'm, I'm needing reconciliation. That tells me something about my own nature. And it unlocks some truth about my own sinful propensity. And now I begin to understand why I act the way I do. I don't like it, but I at least can now understand it, right? We begin to see ourselves in the light of this truth. We, we, we recognize that God loves us and has made salvation available to all, whoever. This is a God who loves the whole world. It's not exclusive, but it's offered to all. And and that there's nothing required on my part but faith in him. It's not anything that I have to do. It's not some religious duty that I need to perform. But rather, I just need to receive and believe on this son, Jesus, that he has sent on my behalf. It tells me that there is an everlasting life available. Something beyond this life. It tells us something about eternity. Something beyond the grave. We're created to be eternal beings with God. There's a lot of truth packed in this little verse concerning the Father and the Son. And Paul is saying, look, all the other truths, all the other treasures of wisdom and knowledge, they are unlocked by this truth. Once you know this, it changes everything. It changes the way you perceive and interpret everything else in life. And so he wants them to stay anchored in these things. Christ alone is what you need. He will complete you We'll see that even as we go forward in our text. Move with me now, verses 4 through 7. We see his concern, what he's hoping to to establish there in the church. And now he's going to actually give a command. Here's here's how you stay on course. Look with me in verse 4. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words, for though I am absent in the flesh... Yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you, here comes the command, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built in him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. I don't want you to be deceived by persuasive words. Here's the thing about false ideas, false teaching. It doesn't come looking silly and foolish. It comes looking persuasive and maybe wise. You know, as I read that, I thought of even some of our young people as they go out into our secular colleges and universities. How many stories have we heard of young people going in with a Christian faith, but then They get into the college campus and these Ph.D. professors who are completely secular, some atheists, begin to kind of intellectually try and tear down their faith. 
They begin to espouse their ideas, their wisdom, very persuasive words. These are smart people, well-educated, and their, their degrees and their prominence, very influential, and many young people are enamored and influenced, and they lose their way in their own faith. They're, they're unmoored from the anchor of their own faith. Paul's warning, don't be deceived by persuasive words. These things come against you, but listen, here's your... Here's the way you kind of remedy yourself against this. Verse 6, As you therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. It's, it's not enough to just having, have come to faith and received the message and believed it once upon a time. You're going to have to learn how to walk in this relationship. That's going to be your strength against other ideas in there. The longer you walk with the Lord, the more you exercise your faith and grow and mature in the Lord, it's much more difficult to move you off course. I don't care what PhD or degreed professor has to say. I know the Lord. I've been walking with him. I'm growing in him. I have a daily relationship with him. Paul is encouraging this church. You keep walking in the Lord. That's how you're going to be rooted Rooted. There's an image of a tree, right? Those roots that go deep. That's how you're going to be built up. This means that you're growing. There's something being laid upon the foundation like a building. This, this thing is kind of growing in your life. This comes through the Word of God. This comes through fellowship. This comes through prayer, a private devotion life. That you would be established, he says. That speaks of a maturity. Learning how to apply this faith that we have in Christ. It's learning to live with Jesus in the ups and downs, the trials, the day-to-days. This is how Christian faith is strengthened and matured. And he says, finally, abounding in thanksgiving. That's the, the goal of a healthy, uh, the evidence, I should say, of a healthy Christian life. There's a thankfulness. It's abounding. It kind of overflows. It says abounding. I thought, I read that, and I thought, well, I, I, don't, I don't always feel like I'm abounding. You know, I need a little more abounding of thankfulness in my life. And I realize that's just a reflection on where I am spiritually. Listen to this. I like this commentary. Thankfulness is a good test of our spiritual state. A thankless spirit betrays a life which is no longer focusing on the greatness of Christ. It is looking down, not up. Thankful hearts herald spiritual health. The fruit of a healthy spiritual life is a thankful spiritual life, a worshiping heart, a praising heart. It overflows, it abounds. Paul is saying, listen, this is what you need to do. Walk in what you received concerning Jesus. Don't look back on what happened once upon a time. You live this faith out day by day, and guess what? God's going to strengthen you. God's going to root you. He's going to build you. He's going to establish you. This is the, the way the Lord would command us even today to remain steadfast in the faith. Finally, verses 8 through 10, he gives us a very clear caution. Look with me now, verse 8. Beware, well, that's, that's your first heads up, right? This is a caution. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. 
For in him, Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. He gives this warning and then he reminds them, listen, in Christ you have everything that you need. Don't let someone tell you differently. He is the fullness of the Godhead. He is, you are complete in him and what he has accomplished. And he does reign as head over all principality and power. Don't let any teaching, don't let any philosophy, don't let any man's wisdom or ideas come in and shake you from this truth about Jesus. Anything that detracts or questions or challenges the person and the work of Jesus Christ, that is philosophy and empty deceit according to men, according to the world. It's not according to Christ. Now this word philosophy, literally it means love of wisdom. Now there's nothing wrong with a love for wisdom. Paul is not suggesting that you should never listen or think philosophical. He's saying be careful that the philosophy, this love of wisdom, this desire for knowledge that you have is anchored in Christ because there is some philosophy that is really anchored only in the tradition of men. It's only the wisdom of men passed down apart from God. Men who exclude God from their thinking, atheist type of philosophy and their reasoning and their logic, challenging your faith in Christ. Be careful, don't let those things come and take you captive. He says cheated. That word could be like uh, being taken captive, like being kidnapped. Don't get kidnapped by kind of false philosophies that are alluring. And again, they don't come with big, you know, signs saying, I'm false doctrine, I have a false idea, come listen to me. It comes in a kind of this seductive sort of idea. And sometimes it's appealing to our own carnal way. And we think, yeah, well, maybe that's okay because that kind of fits the way I want to live anyway. Very careful, Paul saying, don't fall for that according to the tradition of men, the basic principles of the world, not according to Christ. We're talking about a worldview for the Christian. Certain things that you believe that will affect the way you interpret and interact with the world. Now we're li li living in times where there are all kinds of philosophies of men and empty deceits. Here's a, here's, I'm going to read a list of questions to you. This is a, these were questions that were asked by a, a Christian kind of um, research group. They asked this of professing born-again Christians. And they asked a series of questions just to see where, where Christians were moored concerning their belief. Now I'm going to give you a heads up. The answer to every one of these questions should be yes, okay? Only 9% of professing Christians answered yes to every one of these questions. Listen. Do absolute moral truths exist? Is absolute de truth defined by the Bible? Did Jesus Christ live a sinless life? Is God the all-powerful and all-knowing creator of the universe, and does he still rule it today? 
Is salvation a gift from God that cannot be earned? Is Satan real? Does a Christian have a responsibility to share his or her faith in Christ with other people? Is the Bible accurate in all of its teachings? Now, as I mentioned, I'm hoping as you hear those questions, you're thinking, yes, yes, yes. This is what Paul is stressing to this young church. Don't be deceived. Don't be captive. Don't be kidnapped. Don't be taken bondage by thoughts that are according to man's traditions. Oh, higher criticism. Oh, well, maybe not. Maybe that not all the Bible is really inspired. Well, that's, that's great. Then who's going to tell us which parts are and which parts aren't? Where, do you, where does it lead? It's a slippery slope when you start allowing these seductive thoughts and doctrines and seemingly wise philosophies draw you away from those things that are anchored in Christ. This truth of Jesus has survived since these words were, since the Bible was penned and, and inspired. These kinds of challenges, do you really think that now we're just that much smarter that we're really figuring out what parts of the Bible are inspired and not really? Now, these are just old ideas being recycled. That's why Paul's addressing them. Oh, it came under a different banner. It was, it was camouflaged as a different idea, but come listen to our kind of exclusive knowledge. We have special insight, drawing them away from these things that had been already taught. Listen, we have a lot of ideas being floated in our culture, in our generation. A lot of questions, questions about origins. How did we get here? Were we, are we truly created in the image of God? Did God truly create the heavens and the earth? Are you made by God with special purpose and destiny? What about sexuality? What about marriage? Are these ideas that, that God has instituted into the human society? Or are these things that are up for debate and kind of evolve with culture? What about the sanctity of life? Think about this with me, that we have a conversation in our time that challenges the right of an unborn fetus three, four months in the womb, whether they should be given the right to be born and come to full term. We call it abortion. It's legal. Not only is it legal, but the morality of it is debated and defended based on a woman's choice to end a pregnancy. Now, these things are political hot buttons, aren't they? Every one of these, boy, we could, have, we could really cause some trouble in our community, couldn't we? I'm not bringing these up to be political. Because, listen, church, they're not just political. They're moral. They're ethical. The, these, these are the, the foundations of the truth that God has given to us concerning life, concerning purpose, concerning His plan and creation, concerning salvation, and our need to be saved, our need to be restored in relationship to God. We, we are bombarded by these things. The media, the culture, the peer pressure, the social pressure, all of this 
coming against things that we should be holding dear. And the Apostle Paul is giving a warning. Be careful, beware. Don't let philosophies, empty deceits, according to the traditions of men, according to the principles of the world, take you captive, cheat you, rob you, kidnap you from those truths that are, in, are unchangeable in Christ. How we need to hold these truths. Now listen, how do we interact with, with a culture that is believing these things that we feel very strongly about if we are embracing biblical truth? Do we get angry? Do we, do we you know, attack them? Do we try to belittle? No. That, do you see that in Paul's writing here? You see Paul just trying to strengthen and establish the church. Because listen, we were like that. We were outside of truth. We were outside of God's love and, and mercy. We have to appeal in love. We can't compromise. But we have to somehow extend the invitation. Listen, come to Christ. God has something. God, ha God is alive and real. He's left us a record. Listen to the story of his love. Because let me tell you, these empty philosophies and these false ideas, they will not lead to spiritual life and fulfillment. Oh, they promise great freedom. They promise great intellectual elite kind of, you know, you know very sophisticated thinking. But I'm telling you, they leave people empty and lost and miserable. There's only one truth that will really save, that will really bring peace, really bring relationship that's meaningful with God. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. We still have the only message that saves. That's your confidence. How am I going to debate these people? They're so, you know, angry. <laughs> They're so convinced. You can know this, that the truth that you hold in Christ is the truth that saves. That's what you're armed with. You just give them the truth. You just love them. You just tell them how God's changed your life. You just share what you know about Jesus. You let the Holy Spirit convince, persuade, convict, draw but don't you compromise. Don't you try to accommodate. Don't you try to settle in. Paul's giving a warning. Beware, Christians in Colossae. These ideas are floating. These ideas are floating in our generation too. Romans 12 and verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We need our faith in Christ to be established. Uh, we need our faith in Christ to be anchored in Him and His truth. You know why? Because in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in Him, who is the head of all principality and power. You hold to Jesus. He, is, he does complete us in faith with him. We are all that God has called us to be as we are in Christ. And he is the Lord, the God of all creation. And he is head over all principalities and all powers. Hold faith, church. Hold on to Christ. Be careful. Don't compromise. Love 
witness, share, but you keep walking in the life that he's called you to by faith. Where do you stand with Jesus today? Is he the Lord of your life? Is he truly the one that you are allowing to direct your steps? As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted, built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. That's our charge today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these verses come to us via the Holy Spirit, via the Apostle Paul to his letter to the church at Colossae. But Lord, how relevant these truths are to our time. Lord, I pray that you would help us. Help us as those who embrace Christ today to live and walk in the life that you've called us to. Lord, please strengthen my brothers and sisters today. Lord, that they would be armed with this truth, knowing not only that it will, it will bring great blessing to their life, but Lord, that it still has power to save and minister in every generation. Lord, keep us on course. Help us not to be blown to and fro by every chance wind of doctrine. Lord, I pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. We pray you have been blessed by this sermon. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org.